1: No, no
2: piece of sh. I got a piece of sh. God, I love sh.
1: Never gets me very.
3: Fun. Yes, 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 that's Adam Sandler. We'll be talking about him in just a second. A lot of bleeping going on there. Later in the show, we'll be talking about Picard Season 3, where there's no bleeping and we hear quite a bit of salty language (laughs) from Picard, even from Jean-Luc Picard. I'm still reeling from hearing the F-bomb from him. But we've got other things to do today. First of all, uh, I want to say happy St. Patrick's Day to yourselves and a special happy St. Patrick's Day to, to little Simon McPants, who turns four today. I guess four, he's not He's not little anymore. In fact, later in the day, Amanda Plummer is going to take him up in a space shuttle and teach him how to smoke. Um, I don't necessarily endorse that behavior. That, that'll. The meaning of that may become clear later on in the show. I don't know. Do I really have time to do this? Okay. So... Um, um, so it is St. Patrick's Day, and this odd thing happened just a few hours ago, uh, which is that Jonathan McPants, the producer of this show, um, got an, got an email <laughs> got an email from the management company of Bono. I mean, I think this is these are like his. I think it is his management company. Uh, a guy named Derek, and Derek says that he uh, has become aware they're putting together some kind of compilation, and he has become aware, or they have become aware, that I interviewed Bono on the. phone f- <laughs> <laughs> on the phone in 1981, uh, and for the Hartford Current, and he wants to know if the audio, if there was a recording of that, that could be made available. And so this, you know, Jonathan recorded. Uh, he forwarded this to me, and I I wrote back to Derek, and I <laughs> I said, there is no recording. Thank the gods. And if there was, I would probably destroy it because m- my interview, I, my interviewing of Bono was so abjectly horrible that I don't want there to be any record of it. And it really was maybe the moment when I realized that I shouldn't be a rock critic, that it wasn't fair to the readers or to the musicians or anybody for me to be a rock critic. Uh, Although as I told Derek, that it's it's strong competition from the moment when backstage Ted Nugent handed me a bottle that he had just swigged out of and ordered me to drink out of it. And my only thought was, where has this man's mouth been so far today? Uh, But there was no alternative, really, but to do this, I thought, I have to leave this business. Anyway, that's our little St. Patrick's Day story, and I've asked uh, Derek to apologize to Bono for me being such an eejit uh, back in 1981. All right, now it's time to talk about what we have to talk about. We've got a great panel today. The last time we saw him, he pulled a phaser on Commander Riker. David Edelstein is America's greatest living film critic um she just bought a vintage klingon knife on ebay uh mercy quay founder and principal consultant for the narrative project and <laughs> direct from the er and <laughs> not for the first time on this show uh but fortunately it's her, her ankle uh and which means that she can continue to doodle on a napkin mrs Carolyn Payne Crusher, Mrs. Jack Crusher, Ms. (laughs) Carolyn Crusher, uh, Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, and dancer, founder, uh, director, and choreography of Kinetic Dance. You really were recently, like yesterday, you had a prolonged visit to the ER, right?
2: Yeah, I I had a fall this week that I can't help but think might be your fault, Colin. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I believe that Colin cursed me with a cursed doll, and uh, I— Tripped and uh, I thought I broke my foot, but luckily I did not break anything this time. Uh, I just have a really bad sprain, yeah. um, but I'm still hobbling around and in a great deal of pain. And loaded uh, up,
3: loaded up on generic uh, Percocet. Uh, we had, yeah. we had Jordan Love warming up on the sidelines, but Carolyn says, "Nope, I'm going to go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start at QB today." All right, so we're going to begin <laughs> with this uh, topic. Uh, which I have too many opinions about, and I will try to stuff them down. Um, So, Adam Sandler, first of all, there's this thing called the uh, Mark Twain Prize for Humor. Uh, It is presented by the Kennedy Center. Uh, It um, is supposedly, uh, according to them, a way of honoring individuals. Who have had an impact on american society in ways similar to the distinguished 19th century novelist and essayist samuel clemens best known as mark twain as a social commentator satirist and creator of characters clemens was a fearless observer of society uh, and and, started many uh, startled many while delighting and informing many more with his uncompromising perspective on social injustice and personal folly this award this year is going to adam sandler I sort of feel like "Race ipso Loquitor" as they say in Starfleet Command. This, this kind of speaks for itself. But maybe it doesn't. Let's go to America's Greatest Living film critic who has reviewed not a few, uh, but many Adam Sandler movies. Um, and maybe talk about whether you can or can't reconcile these ideas, David Edelstein.
1: Well, uh, he fascinates me, Adam Sandler. Um some stars are stars because you can read their features instantly, and some others. Uh, and I think Sandler falls into this category because you never quite get a fix on them. Um, he's he's kind of fogged in. He's so self-absorbed, but there's something his eyes have a kind of sadness that says he knows that he's like um he's like the little boy who punches you because he can't figure out another way to express himself his comedy is like that it has this this sort of core of 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 aloneness of this isolation followed by this almost sort of spasmodic punching out and anger Um, And I find him, for that reason, kind of unpredictable and interesting, interesting as a Jewish archetype, too. Um, Maybe it's because I'm a Jew who also feels uh, alternately, you know, (laughs) self-pitying and uh, prone to punch people for no particular reason. Um, Although I've known you
3: for many decades and I've never (laughs) seen you actually physically punch anybody. I think your punches are perhaps delivered (laughs) with artistic, verbal elan.
1: I mean, he's, he's, he punches out also in the form of his gross out humor, his, his infantile humor. I mean, even his best, some of his best movies will begin with, you know, elephant ejaculation or, you know, uh, or, or something like that. I, I mean, he has one great handicap as a performer. His eyes are dead. Um, and, and, uh, or else they're so turned so far inward that it's like they're dead to the world, which makes him, he which makes him very uh sort of credible both as a man incapable of an embar- of embarrassment or a man so afraid of embarrassment that he's always throwing up walls punch drunk love. Um, Uncut gems these are sensational performances. They don't really fall into his his you know the Mark Twain comedy persona right. and I but would I, just I,
3: would, I hate to interrupt, but I would say like I think punch drunk love and uncut gems are really, really great performances too. but those are performances. And, you know, and and they don't they aren't don't rec- represent acts of creation, you know, when he has to create material. I mean, even Spanglish, which is, you know, an OK movie. But if it's an OK movie, that's thanks to James Brooks, who wrote and directed this and who should win the Twain Prize at some point. James Brooks fits the criteria for the Twain Prize much more accurately than does Adam Sandler. I mean, when Adam Sandler those, has to steer his own boat. do.
1: Yeah, they do. They do tailor. Their, uh those particular portraits to Adam Sandler. and I do believe he probably has a a role to play in shaping them. I think Spanglish is a very underrated movie, but I also think there's there are movies like The Wedding Singer. Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Um, I the the two two of the the Brook uh, two of the um, uh, the the Barrymore, um the the movies he did with uh, Ms. Barrymore. Whatever the hell her name is, I can't remember. Drew. Drew She goes by
3: Drew. Okay, I, I need to get to the other panelists, although I want to say one more thing to you just to have you react to it. Okay, Adam Sandler is getting the Twain Prize. In her life prior to her death, Nora Ephron never received... The Dwayne Prize. Can, can we f- possibly feel okay? I mean, somebody should have to commit seppuku for that.
1: Dora um, Efron was a fantastic comic essayist, but she made some really, really terrible movies, uh, and far fewer good ones than Adam Sandler has been responsible for.
3: <laughs> Ooh, there's a controversial statement. All right, we're going to jump over Ooh. to you, uh, Mercy Quay. Uh, do, you, do you have strong opinions about this one way or another? I'm not quite sure.
0: Yeah, I think Adam Sandler is someone that I cannot take seriously at any point of his career. I, I've never taken him seriously um, I think that there's a huge distinction between his performances and the things that he will, he wills together on his own um, I think Click and Spanglish and Rain On Me are two examples or rather three examples of him doing fantastic um performances where he he needs to put on an earnest face um i until david Elstein just gave me the the uh perspective that he's dead in the eyes i never realized that and now that is the reason why i realize that is the reason why i don't connect with him as a, a screen feature every i'm a, every time he's on screen i'm looking for something else to look at i'm trying to pay attention to something else because he doesn't capture me as a performer um i i also think that you know, we know Mark Twain for prolific pieces in our American um, uh, society. We like Huckleberry Finn and, and right, think coming up with these amazing characters. And I just don't think that someone, the likes of Adam Sandler can really stand on the shoulders of greats like Mark Twain in earnest.
3: Yeah. I think it was Tom Hanks who said he had dead eyes, Uh, but uh, you can fact check me on that one. By the way, for those of you who are making prop bets out there and you had elephant ejaculation in the first 15 minutes, you did win. So obviously just call DraftKings or wherever you place that bet. Um, So yes, uh, Carolyn, first of all, uh, (laughs) how are you holding up here over the first 15 minutes? Are you feeling okay?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm staying with the conversation so far. Uh, things might get wild. But so I I guess like, I mean, Will Ferrell won the Mark Twain, was honored with the Mark Twain Award in 2011. And I don't really think like Will Ferrell, I, I think that you could argue that Adam Sandler is more prolific and has gifted more or as much to comedy as Will Ferrell, right? And I think that Adam Sandler, I I definitely had never thought of him being dead in the eyes, but now I'm never going to not <laughs> think that. So thank you for that. Right, exactly. But, um, you know, I think that Adam Sandler had kind of, to me, sort of defines the, this era of comedy in a lot of ways, like with Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and Wedding Singer and you, and Big Daddy I I mean they're Deuce Bigelow male Gigolo. I mean these are ridiculous movies but they were sort of uh kind of uh, like coming of age for Millennials and it's what it's that sophomoric humor that you grew up with so I I I mean I Don't. I wouldn't. He wouldn't be my pick, but I'm not as mad at this as I feel the rest of you are. Well,
3: I'm the maddest, clearly. And I just do want to say (laughs) this. Here, here are some people who have not won this award, Uh, and some of them still could, and two or three of them probably will in the future. Gary Trudeau, Dave Barry, Jordan Peele. James Brooks, Albert Brooks, Woody Allen, we know he's not going to win this award ever, but uh, or probably any other awards, David, <laughs> David Sedaris, Larry Wilmore, Roy Blunt Jr., probably the closest person to, quen, to, to Twain as a figure in American society today, Paula Poundstone, Alexandra P- Petri, John Hodgman, the writing staff of The Simpsons, Christopher Buckley, I could go on. Uh, and, and I do feel like it's a reached I mean, if they called it the Groucho Prize, I, I wouldn't have a thing to say about this or the Shecky Green Award, you know, fine. <laughs> Calling it the Twain Prize, I think, puts a certain burden on it. I don't know why they did that in the first place. I will tell you that I interviewed the guy, one of the guys who set this up a, year, a couple years ago, and he told me that Mel Brooks turned them down. <laughs> he wouldn't take <laughs> it. I love that. All right, so we have a nifty segue from there uh, to, the, um, to the hurt feelings uh, of somebody who was co-starred with Adam Sandler in at least one movie. Is it called F- Funny People? Is that what it's called, David?
1: funny people, people yeah okay but can i just say that adam sandler has appeared at critics society events and ha- never fails to say that critics hate him and he you know can't believe that he's standing there he clearly <laughs> for all his riches is affected by by the brickbats that he gets from from critics even though i think many of us have you know loved films like the wedding singer and uh Uh, Fifty First Dates and Punch Drunk Love and Uncut
3: Gems. Wedding Singer is a really nice movie. I like it too. Well, anyway, his co-star – oh, I'm also in trouble. I skipped over on my list uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, uh, creators of South Park. I was
1: going to mention them at the end of the show, so I'm glad you mentioned them here.
3: Um, So – but so they have not won the Twain Prize, and probably will not be winning the Twain Prize. But now, anything's possible. All right. So, Seth Rogen um, speaking on the Diary of a CEO podcast. I don't know what that is, uh, but he uh, uh, rather celebratedly this week talked about the effect of bad reviews. Cat, this is a one. Um, I think if most critics knew how much it hurt the people that uh, that made the things that they are writing about, uh, they would second guess the, the way they write these things. Like it's devastating. It takes year. I know people who never recover from it. Honestly, years, year, decades of, of being hurt by, cause it's very personal. You know, it, it's not like, it's not, it, it is personal, you know? Um, and so it is devastating when you are being like institutionally told that your personal expression was bad. Like that is like devastating. You know, and something that people carry with them, uh, literally their entire lives, and and I get why it sucks. <laughs> All right. So, uh, well, we have to start uh, with David Edelstein
1: oh, oh no! <laughs> oh god! I feel so bad
3: now. Do you have anything you would like to say to Seth Rogen? I, I already so I apologized to Bono earlier oh, today. You I could do something. I feel so
1: bad. What? I feel so bad now. My whole life, um, I uh, you know, uh. Part of a critic's job is is not just to blow the trumpet for what's good, but to blow raspberries at, at what's noxious and not to be cruel, but to try in one small way to prevent such aesthetic crimes from recurring. Uh, and another reason is to uh, create a kind of uh, hierarchy of values. This mm-hmm. is worthy. This isn't. Art pedals lies. And we have a job to to spot them and we have a job to celebrate what's good and, and Uh, and and this idea of... Well, first of all, two. let me say two things. Number one, he seems to be talking, because he goes on later in that interview to to reference The Green Hornet. He seems to be talking, I think, about the director, Michel Gondry, who is a very, very sensitive soul. We know from his semi-autobiographical movie, uh, The Science of Sleep. Michel Gondry is a great critic starling. He directed Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from Charlie Kaufman's script. And, you know, he... I don't know what he was doing, making a movie like the Green Hornet, which I thought was was okay. You know, it did get some very bad reviews and it was a flop. But, you know, I'm sure the people at the studio had much worse things to say about the Green Hornet than any of the critics who wrote about it. Um, And and, you know, as as for, you know, being cruel. I mean, does that mean that you. Colin or you, Carolyn, or or anybody here is not allowed to walk out of a movie and say that sucked because you've never made a movie. I mean, what about posting on Facebook or Twitter? What about the nose? Um, The difference is that a critic actually has to take a stab at saying why something lived or died. Some some people are very good at that. Some some are not. Um, I don't I don't have any uh, um, regard for for sadists and uh and i do feel bad for things that i've written over yay, these you know 35 40 years but uh as in, as for critics they are necessary and <laughs> You know, you, you can't take them away. We'll always come out of a work with a response to it, a judgment, and we'll always want to talk about
3: it. Yeah, I mean, I well, first of all, I want to go through the, the rest of the panel here. So, so Carolyn, yeah, I mean, one way, one thing that I, I think about this uh, when I listen to Seth Rogen is you also get an awful lot of adulation. You know, I mean, you're a movie star. You get to make movies and people are excited to see you and meet you. And there's just a little price that comes with this. But but I don't know. I mean, what, what, what is your thinking?
2: Yeah, I mean I've had reviews of shows I've done and things like I've had horrible things said about me and honestly you just kind of I mean there's a part of you that hears it and and it's just kind of like cringing and feels like maybe you should curl up and die but honestly I just kind of laugh at it. it and it it doesn't matter and I remember several years back I had worked on a project and there was this really horrible review and people were being very nasty online about something. And I remember one of the producers of the project said, just don't feed the trolls. Don't even pay attention to the trolls. And I mean, when I read this whole thing and, and heard Seth Rogen say this, I I kind of had the same reaction as David Ellis. I wanted to be like, dude, stop whining. It's you, you you're, you're doing this. You're putting yourself out there. You're going to be subjected to hearing uh, opinions. This is what you got in this for. Um, and not everyone's going to love you all the time and just kind of get over it. Uh, I mean, I guess it, it you know, there's like a buildup. There's kind of this, this buildup over time when you hear these things, but I I just think that this sounds really, it, to me, it was just sort of, it, it was, it was whiny.
3: Right. Well, you, well, Mercy, before you comment, I want to tell you that uh, upcoming uh, Seth Rogen projects include he will be lending his voice to Donkey Kong in the Super Mario <laughs> Brothers movie, uh, and then Bebop in Teenage mutant, mutant Ninja Turtles, colon, Mutant Mayhem. So I certainly hope that the critics pay suitable homage to his craft and afflatus uh in these roles. But Mercy, you have the floor. <laughs>
0: yeah, I kind of, when I, when I read this, I thought to myself, Seth Rogen seems like the type of person who is 5'11 in real life and rounds up to, to 6'2 on Bumble. And I, for <laughs> shiggles, went to go look at his height. And he's 5'10. And I don't have access to his Bumble, but I'm sure that he rounds up. Um, and for me, that's incredibly meaningful because that that is the sign of someone who holds so much um, uh, insecurity <laughs> while, being, while being someone who's on a, a major stage. He is worth 80 million, which is about 80 million more than I'm worth. And, you know, you kind of open yourself up to critique. I think that when it comes down to it, um, you are on a national stage. You open yourself up to critique and critics. You're not the primary audience for critics. The the, the, the the maker of the art is not, the artist themselves exactly. is exactly. not yeah. the primary audience for the, for the critique, right? And because of that, I think there's an intrinsic responsibility to be honest if you're a critic, right? And sometimes that honesty requires a critique that says, this sucked and no one should watch it. <laughs> if, if that bothers you, consider for once, perhaps, making something that doesn't suck. And no one will give you the critique that you are not liking.
3: That's exactly where I was yeah. going to go on this, actually. But first of all, I just do want to say to to Mercy's other point, you want praise? That's what your entourage is for. You're worth $80 million. You have an entourage. Tur- believe Turtle, me,
1: Believe me, they get it. Yes. They, they Tur- do get it.
3: Turtle will just tell you how freaking great you are. I do want to say this. You know, it's interesting because one of our interns, our wonderful interns right now, is working on a show about hate watching. And we discussed whether it would be a good idea to find somebody who hate listens to this show. Uh, and, and I said that I could provide quite a list of names. Um, but. It is sort of true that it kind of goes with the territory, and you can't let it bother you. But once in a while, it will. There were a bunch of people from New Haven who were on Facebook one day talking about how mediocre I am. And, like, I don't mind being called annoying or stupid or arrogant or self-satisfied. or But mediocre really hurt me, really bothered me. And to what Mercy just said... You're Actually, not,
1: by the way. You're well,
3: not. I, but you, I've been sort you, of
1: incorporating. You really that. annoying sometimes.
3: <laughs> there, exactly. That's <laughs> what I need to hear from my entourage. But uh, no, I just thought, you know what? I just that's. I'll just pin that up to the locker room door and make sure nobody can ever say that about me again. You, you turn it around and, and you use it to make you better. I thought Mercy's point about that was great.
1: All right. Can we, I just say, wait a minute. William, One thing about what, Seth Rogen because yeah. he co-produced and appeared in The Disaster Artist. That is a movie with the with one task which is to make fun mm-hmm. of someone with zero talent of a of a writer director actor with zero talent. So Seth Rogen understands the appeal of hate watching and of, you know, and and of and the and the role the healthy role that criticism has.
3: All right. That's a beautiful way to end it. We have to and now because we need time to talk about Star Trek Picard, which we will do uh, when we open up our captain's log in just a few minutes. He
1: could clear the savannah after every meal. I'm a
3: sensitive soul, although I seem thick-skinned. And it
2: hurt that my friends never stood down with I was always here for you, and I was you. Oh, the shame. Yes, he was a shame. I
1: thought of changing my name. I mean,
2: to what, Brad?
1: And I got down downhearted
2: every time that I farted. Are you going to stop me? No, I'm
1: not. You disgust. Support for this podcast
2: comes from Hartford HealthCare.
1: Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare.
3: All right, Star Trek Picard. Is the eighth Star Trek television series and the fifth series in Alex Kurtzman's expanded Star Trek universe. Uh, It stars, uh, of course, Patrick Stewart, uh, who is, uh, I believe, now 82 years old. I think he's playing Picard at 94. I think that comes out in season one. We're kind of focusing in a a bit on season three, which is what's unfurling now. The fifth episode of season three dropped on Thursday. You know, I just do want to say this. I, I am just down on doing spoilers at all when we do the nose. This is going to be very tricky to talk about without kind of spoiling some things. So if you're n- nothing major, really, but if you're really hell bent on avoiding them, maybe you should skip this part of the show. And I really don't usually say that. I don't like saying it, but but it might it might happen because there are some kind of amazing cameos in this. You probably already know if you know anything about it that yes, Patrick Stewart is back. Jerry Ryan is back as Seven of Nine. Michelle Hurt uh, plays Rafi, This kind of interesting uh, kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know how to an operative, a shadowy operative struggling with her sobriety. Uh, Jonathan Frakes is back as Riker, Gates McFadden is back as Dr. Crusher, Michael Dorn is Worf, Brett Spiner. Uh, well, we could go on and on, so, but, uh, but Mercy, you are our major uh, space explorer on the nose. Nobody's even come close to you, so it's appropriate to start with you and just say a little bit about how this particular iteration of Star Trek is landing with you.
0: Oh, I think it's great. And, you know, I'm someone that when Picard first came out, I wasn't crazy about it. I was like, it's slow. It's kind of, we're getting a slower uh, Jean-Luc and, um, you know, the adventures are behind us and we're kind of getting him in his retirement, but it picks up. And I, I'd say that to anyone who is who is a diehard Chucky who kind of wants to pick up um, these most recent series, uh, this one about Dis- uh, Picard and Discovery. Um, it pick- if you... If, I mean, I don't want to name it like a suicide campaign, but it gets better. Um, and in the beginning, while it's slow, P- Picard picks up. I will say season three is a bit of a love letter to anyone who has been a fan of the franchise, um, particularly fans of Next Generation. I think that one of the biggest things that you should do if you're a fan is kind of go back to a few of the originals, go back to next generation, go back to space nine and Voyager, because some of the, some of the uh, characters that we know and love, uh, like you mentioned, Colin, come back uh, to us here. But I want to talk about John Luke in this one. I think we, in a way that I wasn't crazy about um, for seasons one and two, I think he was a little, I I still think, you know, we're talking about someone in his, an admiral in his retirement. And what and he's got a vineyard in France and he's slowing down. he's collecting art. we see these sides of him and he is a pensive soul. but in this season uh I, and you know, you see this in the first two episodes, he's kind of revved up and ready to go he he doesn't give a uh, anymore. he's dropping f-bombs he's he's out here. I mean, We've agreed that spoilers are probably the um, uh, the way of this show. He's out here realizing he's got relatives that he didn't know about <laughs> before, and <laughs> that's, that's the best way. That, that I was can so say that. beautifully
3: <laughs> put. Thank you so much. Yeah.
0: So it is it is a fantastic piece um, to dive into, whether you are a Trekkie or you're new to the franchise. I think that season three feels more like a soap opera than any of the other uh, seasons or any of the other um, uh, 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 series in the franchise, which is beautiful in in, um, its production. I think that um, there's a lot to see here and episode five has all sorts of twists and turns. Again, you're going to want to go back to Space Nine to learn about the characters, uh, to remember uh, who, uh roller is um
3: in the first place um uh, uh, oh yeah yeah, we definitely have to talk about her i do want to say a couple of things about what you said though as i understand it he's now in a kind of synthetic body right uh yep, i mean his, so that may help with yeah, the but whole they, of being they wish
1: a... they could you know what they they're running away from that as fast as they can <laughs> that was the climax of the first season right which was about something entirely different and was really an entirely different show put together by uh, Michael yeah. Chabon and Alit Waldman and it had a different theme it had a different you know and they they boxed themselves into a, to a corner and they they did that and then you could just tell when they got to the next season oh, no, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And, and
3: now he's dating yeah. a hot Irish Romulan woman uh, with his synthetic body and, like, macking on her, you know. No, it's seems...
1: supposed to be aging just like a normal body. Yeah, oh, i sure. They just say, oh, we put you back just at the same age you were. Well, geez, couldn't they give him his voice back? I mean, all right, so, Carolyn, yeah. Carol, you, <laughs> Carol,
3: you haven't been heard from yet. I want to know what you're thinking about all this. Well,
2: Well, um, okay. So I am not a Star Trek fan. I know that's not going to shock anyone. I did kind of stumble upon Next Generation, like when it was on in reruns when I was a kid. So I'm familiar with some of the characters. Um, I did watch some sort of Star Trek. for the nose as uh, Pants informed me like six years ago when I signed up for a free trial of Paramount Plus that I never canceled. Um, actually, it was called CBS All Access back then. That's how long ago it was. And I've been paying for this. Mm. So it was nice to like put this, uh, this streaming service to use and watch something that I've been paying for all these years. Um, I mean, I you know, I kind of agree with Mercy that like, even if you're not a fan, like me, even if you're just kind of coming into this, it's, it's watchable in that there is enough to hold your interest. Um, there's enough like drama and human interest and intrigue beyond this kind of sci-fi traditional framework that is not my genre. Um, so I, you know, (laughs) I guess i i don't know i don't know what i don't know what i'm doing the, here the, 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 the
3: grudgingness <laughs> is, is heard so david i want to just focus on a couple of things here because first of all i want to say that i think episodes four and five of this season three are two of the best hours of television I've seen in the last 12 months. I thought they were just exciting and really exciting and aesthetically pleasing. And I think one of the things that's happened with the two major IPs that begin with the word star is that they've realized that they have to change their aesthetic and they need an injection of Blade Runner noir. And so Star Wars has given us uh, Andor, uh, which is, you know, obviously they're kind of, Raymond Chandler treatment uh, of their their IP, and now this this thing I think is almost more noir in season three than Andor is. You know, there's just a lot of sort of darkness, and and Rafi really is this you know addict who's like struggling for her sobriety and being a detective, and and the stuff that's going on on the ship just feels you know re- really kind of freaky in a way that strikes me as as conforming to the noir aesthetic but I'm, I'm wondering mr edelstein uh how you react to that
1: <laughs> i would say uh ep- episodes three four and five mm. are just absolutely sensational um i think i don't know about the noir thing i think this is oh it's been a weird evolution to season three of picard starting with you know that season that that went so wrong um basically you can What what you played, did you notice what you played? It started out with the Alexander Courage theme, and then it slowly drifted into uh, Jerry Goldsmith's Next Generation theme. And if you had kept going, it would have gone into the Picard theme. So they are really trying to weave all these strands together. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some Voyager in there, too, and maybe even some Deep Space Nine. Um, it's a... Um, this is a real continue. I mean, as as great as it is, we, it wouldn't be as effective if it wasn't a true continuation of characters we came. We meaning me and you, evidently, uh, uh, we came to know and love over many many years of of the next generation, and then the uh, the reruns. Um, uh over the years I I think I've probably seen all the episodes three or four times at least and uh the two three four and five of this season are as good as the series ending uh uh all good things that you know that capped uh season seven of Star Trek the Next Generation um it's it's just spectacular and and um Jerry Ryan is rocking it you know, if she's not a starship captain in the next series, forget about it. She's definitely know?
3: got a, she's got a, some kind of equal opportunity lawsuit. at I mean, that point. I mean, yeah.
1: she is she is she was a great character. She she single handedly saved uh, uh, Voyager, although, you know, uh, we keep hearing the name uh, uh, Janeway. Uh, I'd be surprised if they brought Kate Mulgrew back because Kate Mulgrew gave Jerry Ryan such a terrible time. Uh, because Jerry Ryan's character essentially took over the show and and lifted it, you know, into another, into the stratosphere. Um, but everybody, as I think, this guy Todd Stashwick, who plays uh, Captain Shaw, is a fantastic character. Yeah, and we, it, should, we I should.
3: I just want to segue over to Mercy here, so we can kind of, kind of hear from everybody about this. But yeah, I've really enjoyed this. One of the things, Mercy, one of the conceits here in this uh, series is they're kind of three captains uh, on on one ship, uh, and they're jostling a little bit for position: uh, Riker, Picard, and Shaw. Uh, but occasionally, we see them kind of sitting in a line of three, like you know, three little ducks together, uh, and make different kind of decisions, and Riker will go, you know what I think, why don't we sling a meteor into that ship, and then Shaw will go, you know what, I've got an idea. And this is not supposed to work. Plato told us that in the Republic, that you can't have three ship captains. (laughs) But this is, I mean, it's it's kind of cool, right?
0: A little cool. And I think that, you know, they do a wonderful job at showing how the, the, the rest of the crew is made awkward by dad and dad and dad all fighting. (laughs) <laughs> um, and when you throw, <laughs> and when you throw in seven of nine, no one really knows how to act. I think that, I think that the uh, Shaw is a phenomenal character, yep. and when we meet him this season, he is just thrusted into a he th- he throws the audience into a uh, discomfort that is unsettling that he carries with him in every other scene until he's eventually injured in episode three. Where his veneer starts to break down a little bit. Then we see how, well, so something that's kind of interesting is that John Luke is actually the neo, less of a neophyte, but the one with the least amount of seniority in the room. Shaw comes first. Um, gosh, the name is blanking. Help me here. Riker, Riker. Captain Riker. Riker,
3: Riker. Thank you, Riker. The fact, that, Shaw the, the fact he... that Carolyn was able to supply that name really alarms me. <laughs> I'm
0: so, <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. Really. Um really. Uh, so Shaw comes first because he's a captain with a chair. Then Riker, he's a captain, but he has no chair. Then Jean-Luc, who's an admirable, but retired. So Jean-Luc, for the first time, is is, is a bit of a neophyte. He is um, the uh, unsat and unregarded person. He does not have rank here. He, he doesn't know and how stuff works. They have to explain. He stuff He doesn't to even him. know how <laughs> things work anymore. <laughs> they keep throwing his age back into his face, which I find completely yeah, entertaining. Like, I'm sure like, everyone else does as well. He's
3: like some old guy trying to use his iPhone. Hey, uh, you I, know,
1: we're all- I don't want to interrupt because yeah. I know I know Carolyn wants to say something, but I do want to just point out that uh, Gene Roddenberry conceived Star Trek to have less of the normal. Uh, conflicts than other tv shows the whole idea was there was a sort of lickety split trading of information you know it was there was a very naval hierarchy you know it was supposed to move faster and one of the mistakes that they made in the first season of picard was actually to have too much conflict you you want to have conflict but you don't want to get in the way of the momentum Of the science fiction and of the thriller plot and they found a balance here with these three captains and seven of nine they've actually found a balance between between you know really the kind of conflict that that spurs even greater action and that great lickety-split trading of information that used to get from spock or data or or other people and that is so central to the appeal of the show
3: so Carolyn, I don't know where you are in this because I know you got injured yesterday. I don't know how far are, have you have you had a chance to sample the performance uh, of Amanda Plummer uh, as a ca- Captain as, as Vatic? I don't know if she's really a captain or not. Uh, are you at that point yet?
2: Well, yeah, I think she appears in like the second episode. So I know you could have be... been
3: you could have you could have <laughs> been knocked out on on opiates Well, opiates by that time. I don't know what's happening. Yeah.
2: No, I I made it through four of them. um And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Amanda Plummer is, I love her as an actor. She is, I love actors who just fascinate me, like their faces, everything about her performance in everything um, that she's ever done. I I just find her really enthralling. So uh, I was excited to see her pop up in this and I, I enjoy her. I enjoy her character. I thought in what we were talking about before with Picard and Riker and uh Shaw it, well, first of all, at the start of this, I was so confused why Shaw was so dismissive and rude to Picard and Riker. It just that that created this tension that I thought worked really well. And I loved that they totally admitted to Picard and Riker just being these old men. That line in the first episode was it did make me laugh. It kind of hooked me in. I was like, oh, maybe I'm gonna like this when he says, like, my knees are killing me, your hands hurt. As long as we don't have to move or shoot, we'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, at least we're realistic about this. And also, same, guys, same. As long as I don't have to move, I'll be fine. That's right. Um, yes, you identify.
3: <laughs> so we're going to have to kind of wrap up this segment here so you guys will have time to make your recommendations. Wait a minute, wait a minute.
1: Okay. Why, why? I know. There's so much more to say. The card with <laughs> Star Trek. We, I know we, can't We're not stop now. we only have 49 We're,
3: minutes here. I do want to say one thing. Amanda,
1: look, Amanda Plummer, wait a minute. We, yeah, we yeah do Amanda Plummer. okay, go ahead. Yes, dropped, I agree. She, dropped, she was she made a great first episode and then she's only been in the margins of the subsequent ones. so she needs to come back. Um, this show, Michael Dorn, my god, he's turning mm. it a Klingon Spock. It's incredible. I, well, I
3: love it when he says, I have, as you humans say, been doing some work on myself <laughs>
1: I mean it's amazing it's always I mean this show I mean and we still haven't gotten Jordy LaForge and we haven't got you know I think uh, Brent Spine probably going to come back as as Lore this time not Data though God knows we'd like to see Data again and you know uh, Ensign Rowe you know uh, Michelle Forbes coming back and oh god she's so great it just reminded you, me how great she was in the original show and then in Battlestar Galactica she's like the the royalty right. cameo and, right, and twenty four
3: Michelle Forbes has the trifecta of IP. She's done Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, and twenty four. That's pretty impressive. We Amazing. do we really do we really do have to break now. I do want to say one thing, which is I do think that the Star Trek franchise labors under a new burden, which they have completely solved. And that is Galaxy Quest, which was a wonderful, hilarious, delightful movie about how kind of, you know, visible some of the conventions of early Star Trek were. And they had to come back with something that, that kind of could kind of supersede that. And I think what they've done with some of these new iterations solves that problem and a whole bunch of other ones. I think we're all recommending to you Picard's seasons one, two, and three, but you could probably start watching three and, and pick up pretty much everything that you need to know. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back. Yes, well, now it's time to say thank you to Kat Pastor. She's our technical producer. Uh, and Jonathan McPants, father of four-year-old Simon McPants, uh, is the uh, is the producer of this particular episode and pretty much always uh, the no's. Uh, our panelists today are Carolyn Payne, David Edelstein, and I got her a bio wrong at the beginning here, Mercy Quay, founder and president of the Narrative Project and a columnist and editor for the Connecticut Mirror, and, of course, the co-star with John Dankosky of the hit sitcom Mercy and the Dude. Uh, and, Mercy, with that, maybe you can make your uh, recommendations. To us?
0: Absolutely. I've got three podcasts that are space themed. Um, so, first we have Houston. We have a podcast. This is an exploration of how to get from here to the red planet. It is hosted by NASA, um, a NASA space engineer, and it comes out weekly. Next up, we have Star Talk, which is Exactly what it sounds like. Talk about stars and talk with the stars. Talk with a star himself. It is hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, who I um, affectionately refer to as my father, to the dismay of my actual father. Um, (laughs) Then, then we have uh, Daniel and Jorge explain the universe. This is a really great podcast for me to. Oh, geez, this is not an endorsement at all for me to fall asleep to because they have such soothing voices when they're talking about space. But what they, but what the way to curate the show is you send in questions. They get questions from students on UCLA campus and from the fans and they answer their question, your questions live on air or rather in the podcast. And um, so if you have a question about how the universe works or what, if quantum physics can actually compute the way TVs work here on, um, on the surface, then this might be the podcast for you. It is called Daniel and Jorge explain the universe and that is my that those are my endorsements for today.
3: All right. Uh, those are very very good. Uh how about you Mr. David Edelstein?
1: Um well there's this show called uh um Star Trek Picard. Man, <laughs> it is uh Oh, i sorry. I just really I, I just could talk for another two hours about it. But let's move on. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned Trey Parker and Matt Stone. They are in the 20 something season of South Park. Uh, Simpsons gets all the love. South Park is my show this year. They're back and they're as good as ever with shows about chat GPT and Japanese toilets and Yee and his anti-Semitism. These guys turn around turn around their episodes in six or seven days so they're right on top of what's happening now uh you know if you don't have enough four-letter words in uh in Star Trek: Picard, then you know you'll you'll get your share in uh, in South Park. The other uh, thing, since we're all waiting for Succession to come back, there's a book out now by uh, James B. Stewart and Rachel Adams called Unscripted: mm-hmm. The Epic Battle for a Media Empire and the Redstone Family Legacy. And we talk about the Murdochs and maybe the Bronfmans and in relation to Succession, but the Redstones have a part in it too. And if you really want to read about just how wackadoodle these rich media families are um you really should take a look at this book it also talks about me too less moon all the all the stuff that was swirling around CBS while this 90 something year old man was cavorting with with uh with his tootsies um a really interesting book
3: all right um by the way Mercy can you see the name of the third podcast you mentioned it got a, got a little bit garbled I'm told Daniel and Jorge
0: Explain the universe.
3: Got it. All right. By the way, we always put these things up on social media. Uh, uh, Mr. McPants will tell you all the things that were recommended by the panel. Uh, check out. You, know, you can also just check out our page at ctpublic.org/column. Colin. Uh, right, Carolyn, what are you going to recommend?
2: Um. So in watching, uh, in watching Picard, I kept looking at the son of um, of Doctor Crusher and trying to figure out who he was, and then I realized I had just seen him in you the new season of you and the thing with you I was kind of over this show uh I felt like it kind of really just kept playing out the same thing but the new season I I I was injured this week had a you know a lot of free time I was like all right I'm gonna go into it uh it's surprising uh it takes a, a twist that makes it something different and uh there are actually some really well done and interesting performances by actors in it uh including the son of beverly crusher i can't think of the actor's name but um he's a really fascinating character in this so if you are like me and you kind of like a little bit of a lowbrow show and uh love love a good murder um (laughs) go in for this new season of you and it is like picard you could kind of come into this one uh without having really been a fan of the show or watched or watched this. So, so I recommend it.
3: All right. Apparently his name is Ed Spielers. Uh, right. uh plays Jack Crusher. And I think he's also in Downton Abbey. Uh, yes. I mean, does, he yeah. he not, then, does he
1: not look like an Ed Spielers?
3: Yeah, he looks like an Ed Spielers. I'll just quickly say it is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I don't really observe it that much, but uh, if you would like to listen to some lovely Irish music or thoughtful or interesting Irish mu- music, I could mention 10 things. I guess I'll mention two. One of them is the band Solas. Um, pretty much all of their stuff is interesting. It's vocals and instrumentals depending and then a, a songwriter I discovered last year uh, appropriately named Declan O'Rourke uh, and uh, the uh, song The Harbor uh, is a really marvelous uh, Irish tune. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks to this wonderful panel. Trust no one. Trust no one. That gets said a lot on Picard. Trust no one. Even the people you thought you could trust. You can't trust them either but you can trust David Edelston, Carolyn Payne, Mercy Quay, Cad Pastor, and Jonathan McPants.
1: like a cracker bell. Yeah, we all be laughing, talking, joking, talking about this, and talking about that. And talk about everything as a matter of fact, oh yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, yeah. Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain, Vernon, I already said that one, Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah. Marguerite. you